Uh, if you've been around over the last several weeks, you know that we've been spending the summer uh, talking about spiritual growth. We've been talking about a season of growth, an intentional season of growth in our lives. And, and, and today, I want to talk about something that's, that's really close to my heart because I feel like it's something that we talk about a lot, but we don't really always grasp the power of. And as I was growing up, and even today, I've always loved true stories. I love biographies. I love documentaries. I love anything that's true. And I really love reading the books of the lives of people who have really accomplished extraordinary things. I love reading about Walt Disney and Steve Jobs and Elon Musk and Albert Einstein and and Vincent Van Gogh, people who have kind of just excelled and reached the top of their field. And there's something that kind of runs through all of these people's lives. As you, as you look at their lives, as you study their lives, it's almost as if they were destined to do the thing that they do. It's almost as if it was ingrained in their soul to accomplish the thing that they set out to, to accomplish. And when you follow their lives, you see that it's not an accident that they end up where they are. It's not by happenstance. They, they weren't just at the right place at the right time, but, but that all of their lives, for the most part, they have been intentional about setting out towards a specific goal, that they have made choices daily to engage in habits and practices that actually inch them towards the goal that they have, that, that it's not just one big step, but it's days and weeks and months and years of constant commitment to daily habits, to daily practices that make them who they are. And the same is true when you look at the life of Jesus, that if you examine his life, of course he is this incredible person we know him to be, but he also had these practices, these habits that we see all throughout his life that contributed to what he actually accomplished and the model that he actually laid out for us to follow. If you just go through the book of Luke, if you, you look in uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, It says, yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. If you jump down to chapter six, verse 12, it says, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. You continue to chapter nine, verse 18, once when Jesus was praying In private, and his disciples were with him. He asked, who do the crowds say I am? You continue to verse 28 and 29. About eight days later, after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Continue to Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. You you cannot follow the life of Jesus without seeing an intentional commitment to prayer in his life. That Jesus was constantly withdrawing from the crowd and engaging in prayer. But this was not just ritualistic prayer that that happened every day at a certain time. This was prayer that the Bible says actually transformed Jesus' appearance. That, That when Jesus engaged the Father in prayer, it actually changed who he was. That by prayer, he actually transformed. 
and for prayer to be transformative like that to such a level that his disciples came to him and said, Jesus, teach us to pray. Now, if, if you follow the story of the New Testament, Jesus is asked a lot of questions and he answers a lot of questions, but this is the only moment in the New Testament where the disciples specifically ask Jesus to teach them one specific characteristic. Now, if you think about that for a moment, it's really quite extraordinary because these are the disciples who have followed Jesus. They have watched his life. They have seen him perform miracles. They have seen him resurrect the dead. They have seen him feed thousands of people on small uh, portions of food. And yet when they come to him, they say, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray, it's, it's almost as if they realize that all of the transformational kingdom activity that comes from Jesus is rooted in his life of prayer. That, that everything they see him doing is rooted in his connection to the Father through prayer. Because I don't know about you, but if I was following Jesus... If I had seen Jesus open blind eyes and open deaf ears, if I had seen Jesus raise the dead, if I had seen Jesus take a small lunch and feed thousands of people, I might be asking him to teach me those things. I might be saying, Jesus, teach me the one where you make blind people able to see. Jesus, teach me the one where I can take a small, minuscule amount of food and feed multitudes. Jesus, teach me the one where, where when someone I love has died, when someone who I care about has passed away, sickness has overtaken their body, teach me the one where I can just pray for them and they can come back to life. And yet they come to him and they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. This must have been such a tangibly transformative experience to see Jesus pray, for the disciples to come to him and to make this request, teach us to pray. And I know what you're thinking, because this is exactly how I think, which is, of course, Jesus is good at prayer. I mean, Jesus has the unique advantage of being both fully God and fully man. If anyone knows how to pray, if anyone should get results when they pray, if anyone should be able to teach us how to pray, it should be Jesus. But I think the problem that so often happens in our lives following Jesus is that we often discount or set aside some of the things that Jesus does by just kind of brushing under the rug the fact that, well, he is Jesus and I, I'm, just, I'm just a man. I'm just a woman. I'm just a human. Certainly, I cannot pray like Jesus. Certainly, I cannot pray in such a way that things actually change. Certainly, I cannot pray in such a way that that heaven actually moves, that my circumstances actually change. And that's why James chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, is, is so convicting. Because this is what it says about one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, who, who is known for his life of prayer, who is known for his connection to God. And it says this in James chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. It says, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. Now, I am convinced that the reason verse 17 is worded the way it is, the reason that the writer felt necessary to tell us that Elijah was just a man like us that Elijah was just a human being like us, is that the writer does not want us to immediately discount what comes next because, oh, he's the prophet Elijah. 
Of course he prayed and there was rain. Of course he prayed and the rain stopped. He is one of the greatest figures in the Old Testament. But, but the writer goes out of his way to say Elijah was a human just like us. It, when, when you go out of your way to say just like us, what you are essentially saying is what I am saying next that was possible for Elijah, that was a, a reality for Elijah is possible for you and is a reality for you. Because Elijah is just like you. Elijah is a human just like you. And it says he prayed for rain and there was rain. He prayed for there to be no rain and there was rain or there was no rain. And, and I want to talk to you today about growing in prayer. I want to talk to you today about, about growing in prayer. But what I don't want you to take away from today's message is this idea that that. I have to up my prayer life. I have to pray more. Now, that may be a reality for you. Maybe you do need to increase your prayer life. I'm certainly not saying that you shouldn't increase your prayer life. But what I want us to realize as followers of Jesus is that prayer does not make us unique. Prayer does not make us unique. Many people pray. Buddhists pray, Hindus pray, Muslims pray. The difference is not that we pray. The difference is that when we pray, we have the opportunity to connect to the living God. That we have the opportunity to connect to the living God. But I fear that so often we do not tap into this reality. That, that we just throw up ritualistic prayers before meals and at bedtime that really don't take the time to engage the God that we have the opportunity to engage with. And so I want to take you to this moment in 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse 16. And we're going here because this is Elijah's story. Like in the book of James, it's almost like the writer just wants to give us a, a quick synopsis of Elijah's life. That basically all he says about Elijah in, in this chapter about fervent prayer, about prayer that is full of faith, all he really tells us about Elijah is that Elijah was a human being. He prayed and he prayed. And both times what he prayed for actually happened. That both times what he prayed for actually happened. That both times what he prayed for, the heavens shifted and something actually changed. And so this is the kind of actual longer story of Elijah's prayer that, that we hear spoken about. And it begins in chapter 18, beginning in verse 16. We're, we're kind of jumping into the middle of the story, but, but that's all right. It says, so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Not a great greeting. I was kind of a troublemaker when I was growing up, and you always know when someone's not happy to see you. You always know when you were like out sick for a few days and then you show up back at school and your teacher's like, oh good, you're back. But they don't mean it. They don't mean it. They, they, the classroom was a little bit more peaceful when you were away. The classroom was a little bit more peaceful when you were homesick. And that's what's going on here with Elijah is Elijah had essentially called out an entire nation on the fact that they were ignoring God, that they were turning their back on God and that they were serving other gods. But then Elijah kind of went away and laid low for a while. And so the nation was, was pretty good with just staying in their ways and, and not paying any attention to God and worshiping their own gods. And then Elijah shows back up on the scene. And he says, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Elijah responded, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. 
You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on wood, but do not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. So in this moment, the, the deck is stacked against Elijah. I mean, if you didn't catch it in the text, Elijah has basically thrown down an ultimatum. And he says, meet me on Mount Carmel, and we will have a showdown, all 400 of you against me. That all 400 of you can pray to the God of Baal and I will pray to the Lord my God and whoever answers by fire, he is God. Now, what's incredible about this moment is that the deck is completely stacked against Elijah. It's, it's 400 to one. He lets them choose the bull. He lets them go first. He stacks the entire deck against himself and yet there is no response, no answer from the gods of Baal. There is no fire from heaven. And so Elijah, again, I can relate, begins to taunt a bit. He begins to push at them a bit. And he says, you know, perhaps, perhaps your God is traveling or perhaps he is busy. Actually, the word busy there is actually a really kind translation. The, the literal transition when he says perhaps he is busy is basically perhaps he is doing his business. He's off in the bathroom. Like Elijah is literally like, I don't know, maybe he's detained. When you got to go, you got to go. Like maybe your God's just not around at the moment. Maybe he's traveling, maybe he's busy, but, but don't worry, he's definitely a God, so just keep crying out to him, and they, they slash themselves, and they cry out, and they shout all the more, and there is no answer. But have you ever felt like that's your story? Have you ever felt like you prayed fervently, you, you shouted, you, you, you believed, and yet it felt as though there was no answer? It felt as though there was no answer. This is what the prophets of Baal are experiencing in this moment. See, I think often the problems with our prayers is that we pray like the prophets of Baal. We pray lobbing requests into the universe in hopes that perhaps God will hear us. We, we pray lobbing requests in hopes that maybe our prayers will reach God. We shout as though God is deaf or distant. And what we don't realize is that in fact, God is close 
See, what we have to realize about prayer is that, that the point of prayer, the, the end means of prayer is actually relationship. It's actually relationship with God. It's actually drawing closer to God. Have you ever been in a conversation that barely even qualifies as a conversation because the other person just loves to talk so much? And you can tell that even when you're talking, they're just thinking about what they're going to say next. And then it's confirmed because you say something that would maybe steer the conversation a different way. And somehow they just keep talking about whatever they were talking about. And you know, this person is not listening to me. This is not a conversation. This person is just talking. Sometimes I feel like these are our conversations with God is we just go to God and we lob our requests to him, but we never actually take a moment to listen to what God wants to say in our times of prayer. That, that we shout and that we scream and that, that we, that we uh, work ourselves into hysterics. God, if you would only hear me, what we don't understand is that he does hear us that God does hear us, that we don't have to shout loud enough. We don't have to dance long enough or cut ourselves deep enough to get God's attention, but that God listens to us. What we have to realize is that, that prayer that is transactional will never be transformational. Prayer that is transactional will never be transformational because if you view prayer as a transaction, then you think you actually contribute something to it. In a transaction, I give enough of myself and you give a little bit of yourself. I give enough of what I have and you will give me what you have. But what we have to realize in prayer is that all we bring is ourselves. That it's not a transaction where we have to dance long enough or shout loud enough or cut ourselves deep enough to get God's attention. But all we have to do is speak to God because he is close. See, what, what I don't think we realize is the closeness of God, that, that, that when Jesus answered this question, when his disciples came to him and he said, they said, teach us to pray. He said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father, that it began with a relational statement about who God is, God, our Father, in relationship with him. We have to begin with relationship because prayer if it's going to be transformational, it has to be relational. It has to be rooted in the relationship with the Father. It, we carry on in the story, picking up in verse 30. It says, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of the descendants of Jacob. The word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. 
and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back to them. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up all the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and, prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. See, what I want you to notice about this moment of prayer is that Elijah actually had to rebuild the altar. That the altar was in in such ruins, it was in such a desolate place because it had been so neglected and and so left alone and and other gods had been getting the attention of the nation. And so Elijah actually had to rebuild the altar. Before Elijah prayed, he prepared. Before Elijah prayed, he actually prepared as though God was going to do what he was praying for. See, so often we pray, but we don't actually prepare. That if God actually did what we were asking him to do, we wouldn't be ready for it. That there are some things that we have to do sometimes to prepare for the work of God in our lives. See, Elijah was praying that God would bring fire upon the altar, but if the altar was not repaired, there would be no altar to light. And so Elijah had to actually pick up the wood and the stones and rebuild the altar. Sometimes the work of preparation is not simple, sexy work. Sometimes the work of preparation is picking up stones and cutting logs and repairing the altar, repairing the altar so that God can do what you're actually asking him to do, to prepare the space for what you're asking God to do. As we, as we began to plan and to, to plan to plant this church, this was something we told our team over and over and over again, is that if we are going to pray to God to send us people, we have to actually prepare for people. We actually have to prepare what we're asking God to do for us. We cannot act surprised when people show up. This is what we are asking God for. And I wonder what in your life you're asking God for it, but you're not preparing for it. There there are some things in your life that you're crying out to God for. You're asking God to move, but you need to begin to prepare for those things. That's what Elijah is doing as he rebuilds the altar. This image of this altar that is broken down and neglected and, and really just left in ruins because people's attention is somewhere else. I mean, that, that may be a picture of your relationship with the Lord today. That may be a picture of your prayer life. There may be some, some spaces in your heart and in your soul that need to be rebuilt, as it were. There may be some places that you haven't given attention to in a long time that, that need to be rebuilt, that need to be rekindled, that, that need to be laid before the Lord again. I think so often when we turn our attention to other gods, as it were, or, or other things that we put our faith and our trust and our hope in, that, that old altar can begin to get cold. That old altar can begin to break down. That old altar can, can begin to be neglected. And for some of us, that describes our life of prayer, That describes our life of prayer. And for for so many of us, we need to begin to rebuild the altar of our heart so that God can actually do what we're asking him to do. But for some of you, maybe it's been a long time since you felt a connection with God. Maybe it's been a long time since you've heard the voice of God. We need to start to rebuild those places of connection in your heart. And can I just tell you, one of the easiest ways to rebuild your connection with God is just to show up is just to show up. Elijah 
chose to show up. He chose to be there in the moment. He chose to rebuild this altar. And for some of us in these times of prayer, we don't, we don't feel like we feel God in our times of prayer. We don't feel like we hear God in our times of prayer. Can I just encourage you to keep showing up? Keep showing up to those times of prayer. Keep showing up to those moments of prayer and begin to prepare what you're asking God for. See, I think so often we, we have a hard time really even understanding that we serve a God who speaks to us, that we serve a God who, 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 who hears us, who answers us, who actually wants to be in relationship with us. In John chapter 10, verses two through three, it says, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. See, see, notice that when it talks about prayer, it, it talks about hearing and obeying the voice of God. That it's not just about speaking, but it's about both hearing and actually obeying the voice of God. See, I, I think so often we think of prayer as only a one-way conversation when really we need to learn to hear and obey the voice of God. See, this is, this is what's going on in this relational moment where, where Elijah says in verse 36, let it be known that you are the God of Israel and that I am your servant and have done all of these things at your command. Elijah understood the relational dynamic. He came to God saying, you are God and I am not. That, that actually what I am requesting in this moment maybe isn't the best thing for this moment. And so I'm just coming to you saying, God, this is my request, but at the end of the day, you are God and I'm not. At the end of the day, it's your will be done. There, there are no other areas in our lives where we go to an authority on something and completely ignore their advice and then get good results. There, there, you, I don't take my car to a mechanic and have him tell me that there's something disastrously wrong and just ignore it and then it gets better on its own. I've tried that. It doesn't work. I've tried that. It doesn't work. It ends up costing more. It ends up causing more damage. But so often we go to God with the posture as if we know best. God, this is the thing that I want you to do. God, this is the way that I want you to move. So often we, we view prayer exclusively as speaking and God responding. And what we should understand is that so often we need to listen to God speaking and we need to respond. See, the, 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 the best evidence that you are truly a person of prayer is not that God always does what you ask, but that you always do what God asks. That is the evidence of prayer in your life, is that you hear and obey, that you hear and respond. We judge the effectiveness of our prayers by whether or not God is doing what we ask him to do, rather than whether we are doing what God asks us to do. And, and we always get this backwards. Clearly, if I'm not getting what I'm praying for, God is the one not hearing. God is the one not listening. God is the one not paying attention. Hebrews 3 verse 8 says, do not harden your hearts as they did in Mirabah. See, this is a, a verse that's kind of stuck in the middle of a chapter where they're talking about the fact that, that God's voice was ignored for so long that their hearts became hard and their ears became deaf. That, that the more you actually listen and obey God, the easier it is to hear him. The more you actually listen to his voice, the easier it is to hear him. And so for some of you this morning that maybe you feel like it's been a long time since you've heard the voice of God, since you've felt the presence of God, since you've felt any sense of direction in your life, it may just be that you've ignored the voice of God for so long you've become hard of hearing. 
But the good news is we serve a God who is always close. That any distance you may feel in your relationship with God is distance that you have attempted to place, but he's still close. That it's distance that you may have created in your mind, but he's still close. You, you cannot push him away. You cannot push him farther away. He is still close in those moments. In verse 36, it says, one of the most defining verses of this story, that at the moment of sacrifice, Elijah stepped forward. At the moment of sacrifice, Elijah stepped forward. I'm convinced that sacrifice is the environment for miracles. That at the moment of sacrifice, Elijah had to choose to step forward. And I don't think we always realize what a significant moment this was. Uh, it, it's understood really later in the story that the losers of this battle are gonna die. This is life and death for Elijah. This, this is not some contest. This is not some measuring contest just to, to prove, oh, my God is the real God. My God is better. This is life or death for Elijah in this moment. And at the moment of sacrifice, in the face of 400 dancing, screaming, praying prophets, Elijah steps forward at the moment of sacrifice and he prays to God. See, I think that unfortunately, so often in an attempt to be humble, the church has become timid that we're not willing to actually step forward in the moment of sacrifice, that we're not willing to actually step forward in moments of sacrifice and pray and truly connect to God. See, the world sees us stepping forward as Instagram posts that say, like, my thoughts and prayers are with you. And I'm just concerned that we have traded the power of prayer for just posting about prayer. That, that we'll say we're praying, but we're not actually stepping into the moment of prayer. And this is why the world thinks that prayer does not work. Because if you just say you're praying for something, but you don't actually step forward in the moment of sacrifice and pray about it, and they don't see the results, then they assume that God is not listening. But the truth is that we have to step forward in the moment of sacrifice and pray. See, what we, we have to reject the idea that prayer is in action. Prayer is only in action if you serve a God that does not act. Prayer is in action when you're praying to the gods of Baal. But when you are praying to the God of the universe, prayer is action. But we must never pray a prayer that we are not willing to be the answer to. We must never pray a prayer that we are not willing to step forward in and be the answer to. See, we serve a God who acts and we serve a God who calls us to act. Sometimes the answer to our prayer may be God moving miraculously in our situation. Sometimes it may be him calling us to move. Sometimes it may be him calling us to take the step forward at the moment of sacrifice. And Elijah steps forward in this moment and he prays. But I'm so convicted about the prayer that he prays in this moment because if you remember the the showdown is the first god to answer by fire the first god to answer by fire he is the one true god and so the prophets of baal are crying out to baal to send fire on the altar they're crying out for an answer to their prayer and it says elijah steps forward in verse 37 he says answer me o lord answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back to him. Answer me so that 
They will know that you are turning their hearts back to them. Notice that in the moment, in the pinnacle moment where Elijah needed God to send fire on the altar, he didn't even pray for fire. He didn't even pray for fire. He prayed, God, answer me so that these people would know that you are the Lord. He, he didn't pray, God, answer my request, do what I'm asking. He said, God, whatever way in this moment you could answer that they would know that you are the Lord, whatever way that you could, that you could answer in this moment so that they would know that you are the one true God, answer me in that way, God. Answer me in that way, God. See, see, when we pray to God, when we ask God to move, the goal of prayer is that, that I get my way. The goal of prayer is that God gets the glory. And in that moment, Elijah said, God, move in a way that they would know that you are God and they would turn their hearts back to you again. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Elijah's prayer was answered. Fire did fall on the altar, but more importantly, the prophets of Baal and all of the people watching fell on their face and said, the Lord, he is God. This is the end result of the prayers that we pray. Not that we get our way, but that God gets the glory, that he answers our prayers so that others know that he is God, so that others turn to him, that the Lord, he is God. Can I just tell you today that we serve a God who hears and answers prayer, that we serve a God who hears and answers prayer, but we have to be willing to step forward in the moment of sacrifice. We have to be willing to step forward in the moment of sacrifice and pray that we have to truly pray, that we have to truly engage in prayer. If, if you've been around Harbor, then, then you know these stories, but I just want to remind some of you of the faithfulness and the goodness of God. And, and moments in my life that, that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God intervened in my life. There was this summer when I was about 15 years old where we were leading worship at a camp and we were playing and we had loaded up all of our gear. We decided to, to drive back in the middle of the night and we were gonna leave at about 3 a.m. And the weather was terrible, but we were gonna drive back anyway because we just kind of had that end of the night high that you have sometimes. We're like, we're gonna go now. And we packed all up. We literally started to head towards the truck. We decided not to go in the middle of the night. Just a couple people actually got in an argument and we decided it wasn't a good idea to drive. So we stayed back. The next morning we left at seven o'clock in the morning and we were driving out, weather was still bad. And as we were coming down the mountain, the trailer that we were pulling began to push the truck that we were driving and we had no control over it. The truck went literally off the side of a mountain, literally off the side of a mountain. It was stopped by a giant tree. The trailer accordioned the truck all the way around the sides of the truck. We couldn't open the doors. There was a hole in the top of one of the doors that me and my three, two friends climbed out of all of us completely untouched, completely fine. In fact, later on, we had to go and get a bunch of tests at the hospital. And later on, we went back to the side of the mountain to literally find some of our clothes and things on the side of the mountain. And, and the tow truck was there pulling out the wreckage, pulling out the wreckage with a winch. And the driver literally said to us, I'm so sorry, do you know the people that were involved in this accident? We were like, we are the people that were involved in this accident. But, but the crazy thing is this, when we got back to Montgomery where we were driving, when we got back, there was this little old lady in our church 
Little old ladies are great for prayer. And she said, when we got there, she literally said, she said, what happened at three o'clock in the morning last night? Because I was praying that you wouldn't do something, but I don't know what it was. And it was the exact time. It was the exact time that we were gonna leave in the middle of the night. The weather was still terrible. All likelihood would have had this same accident in the middle of the night with no one around, no one to call for help. And I know that in that moment, God answered her prayer and that God kept us safe. I know in that moment, there was a moment when Kristen and I were first married and at the time, Kristen struggled uh, deeply with, with true depression and anxiety to, to the point that she was taking medication for it on a regular basis. And we, we drove away from this other event we were at. We got back to our house in Lakeland about two hours from where the event was and we realized she did not have her medication. And if you've ever had panic attacks or anxiety, realizing that you don't have the medicine that helps you with the panic attacks and anxiety can bring one on. And so she, she was panicking. She was in just a true moment of deep, deep anxiety. And we had no way of getting back to her purse, which she had left the medicine. We had no way of getting it. And we just said in that moment, all we can do is pray, which by the way, is so often the mistake we make as though our, our last result is that, or, or resort is that we can actually pray about this. And we sat on our bed as newlyweds and we prayed, God, we cannot get what we need in this moment. Can you take away this depression? Can you take away this anxiety? And it immediately ceased. And to this day, she has never again had depression and anxiety. And, and I tell you these things, not just to work you up and not just to say like, oh, I tell you these things to remind you that we hear a God, we serve a God that hears and answers prayers, that this is not just theory. It is not just a question that we actually serve a God who hears and answers prayer. So this morning, would you stand with me?